You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. I'm back after being off for a few weeks and I was lucky enough to enjoy a lot of sunshine, a little bit of wine and a lot of food whenever I was off. So it's great to be back and I hope you have had a good couple of weeks wherever you are. And if you haven't been on holiday yet, you're very lucky that you still have it to look forward to. And tonight, coming up in the show, what we have to look forward to is nutritionist Sid Sheehan. He's going to be travelling from Listowel's nourished by nature to come to the studio to talk to us about how to keep our gut healthy Alana Gallagher is going to be on the phone to explain how to cast our votes in the Irish Times Best Shop competition Caroline Rigney from Rigney's Farm in Curachase in County Limerick will also be in the studio and she's going to be telling us about a new addition to her already fantastic product line lots of award-winning products there And finally, at the end of the show, we're going to pay a visit to the north, to County Fermanagh, to find out about the Loch Earn Water Taxi Food Tour with Barry Flanagan as the July theme to celebrate the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink is Seas, Rivers and Lochs. If you'd like to get in touch with me with your food and drink news, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I always love to hear from you so please do get in touch. In the meantime, let's invite our first guest of the evening into the studio and that's Sid Sheehan from Nourished by Nature in Listowel, County Kerry. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Welcome to the studio this evening, Sid. Thanks for having me in again, Sharon. And we're going to talk about the gut. We're going to talk about the gut tonight, so how to nourish your gut. Um, What is your gut? Um, It's all very topical at the moment now, the gut and looking after your... It is. That part of your anatomy, so it is. Definitely. A lot of people kind of ignore it or has certainly been ignored for years, but we all, every day of the week, we use these, um, like a gut feeling, uh, the pit of your stomach, your gut instinct. Where do all these come from? Um, There is something to all that. It's not just kind of words that we throw around in conversation. Actually, if you look back in history and if you read back into this kind of stuff, over two and a half thousand years ago, there was a Greek physician called Hippocrates. Um, He's kind of the father of modern medicine. And he believed or he claimed that all illness um, originates in the gut. So what exactly is the gut? The gut is your immune system. This is where the bulk of your immune system is found. Um, And your immune system is friendly bacteria. Uh, There's billions and billions of bacteria found inside in your gut. And they're in there, they have a very, very particular purpose, and that is to fight off any bad bacteria or foreign invaders, we'll call them, that are making their way in. Okay. okay, so look, the easiest way to, that I find to kind of talk about this is we look at these two main gateways into our body, um, through the digestive tract in the form of food and through our airways into our lungs. So our digestive tract is one, lungs are the other. Um, the amount of bacteria and invaders that can get into our digestive tract um, it's like that. It's an open portal for, for them to come through. So we really need to protect it. You're going to have lots of different bacteria in your mouth, in your throat, all the way down along, all fighting off whatever might be coming through. In your nose, you're going to have bacteria to fight off um, dust particles and stuff like this. But look, we're talking about the gut tonight. Um, So the purpose of these friendly bacteria is to protect us from illness. That's the main purpose of our immune system. 
these microorganisms, they maintain optimum well-being, uh, both physically and mentally. So if your gut isn't healthy, it can have a knock-on effect with every biological process again in your body. Uh, not just um, digestive problems, but that can kind of be extended into all parts of the body and including brain health. It's really, really important too. Um, if you actually look into this stuff, there is something called the gut-brain axis. This is, it's almost classed as like a super highway between the gut and the brain and vice versa. Constant, constant chemical messengers being fired off. Um, there are books out there about the intestine and the gut being the second brain and all this kind of stuff. It's really, really interesting reading if you want to get into this kind of stuff. So I don't think people would associate the brain and the gut, those two parts no, of your no. body with each other. Not at all. Uh, there's so many chemical messengers being fired off inside in the gut. Um, as far as I know, there's actually more kind of chemical activity going on in your gut than there is in your brain. Uh, so it just gives you an idea there's billions of bacteria, billions of cells in there, all working in conjunction and fighting off. Every time we breed, there are millions of uh, nerve signals and cell signals being messaged around the body. So um, it's really, really interesting stuff to start reading into. But look, we won't go into it on that level anyway. Tonight, we're going to work through the purpose of the gut and then we're going to look at fermentation. Well, how can we keep the gut healthy? What do we need to do to keep it in tip-top condition? Okay, so we said we mentioned about the good bacteria versus the bad bacteria. So what we want to do is enhance the good bacteria. That can be done through foods. Um, instead of trying to constantly fight off and kill or conquer the bad bacteria, or we're going to call them the invaders, instead of constantly trying to waste all of our energy on conquering the invaders, it is a more effective strategy to strengthen the body's natural defenses instead. So if you have a healthy immune system in the first place, you're not going to, that will, your immune system will do the work for you. You don't need to be medicating yourself all the time. It is important to remember, um, if you take an antibiotic and they do have an extremely important purpose in medicine, uh, but it is also important to remember, if you take an antibiotic, unfortunately, it will wipe out all of your bacteria, both the good bacteria as well as the bad bacteria. So you do need to be aware of that. Um, after you take a course of antibiotics, maybe it is a good idea to supplement with um, a probiotic. Can you take that probiotic when you're taking the antibiotic or should you wait until you're finished with the antibiotic? I would advise people to wait until afterwards. So when your course of antibiotics, whether it's a week or a fortnight, whatever the case may be, wait until you're finished and then start um, loading in with the probiotic supplements. And what does that probiotic supplement do then? That is going to restore the gut, the friendly gut flora. When you're taking supplements, it is really, really important. Supplements, like a probiotic supplement, that's what they are. They're a supplement. They're not a replacement or a substitute. So you can't expect to have um, a diet that's full of refined sugars and stuff. And just by popping um, a probiotic supplement every morning, you can't expect to achieve optimum health that way. Okay. Natural probiotic supplements, then, you believe that they are a good thing to take? Okay. So the, the best and the, the least expensive way of achieving this is with natural probiotics and naturally fermented foods. So by increasing real food or whole foods or clean eating, whatever way you want to call it, um, and reducing processed refined food. That's kind of the easiest way of doing it. Um, you know, there are few things our foods um, fertilize and accelerate the growth of bad bacteria better than sugar. 
Um, these bad guys, they absolutely thrive on sugar. They absolutely love sugar. So if you're going to have a high sugar diet, you can expect that you're going to have, that's going to feed the bad bacteria. You'll end up with an overgrowth of bad bacteria. Then your immune system is weakened and you're going to suffer the ill effects of that. And one of those ill effects can be mood swings and feeling down and being yeah. lethargic. Pretty much every illness, I would say, um, can result as, or can can happen as a result of um, a weakened immune system. Food intolerances obviously would be a hugely um, popular one as well. Now look, we're going to look at fermentation. So this is the um, making your own natural probiotics. So you don't need to be substituting or supplementing really. You can get it in through fermentation. So what is fermentation? There's a lot of talk about it at the moment. Um, It has become, I hope it's not just a trend because it's something I think that should be incorporated into everybody's diet. People have been doing it for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. So if you get into the habit of doing it, it requires a little bit of work, not an awful lot, but it's really, really rewarding as well when you get into the habit of it. Give us a few examples then of fermented type foods that people would be familiar with. They might not realise they're fermented Okay, so natural raw uh, or natural live yoghurt, that would be a fermented food. That's a live bacteria that's in there, a live beneficial bacteria that's in there. Um, Sauerkraut, this would be a common, uh, it's a German... It's like a pickled cabbage. Yeah, it's a fermented raw cabbage. But it's the process that it goes through, then that's where it generates this beneficial bacteria. um, there are a few others that we'll go through. I'm actually going to give out a recipe for a very simple sauerkraut anyway in a few minutes. All right. Um, just to look back at the fermentation for a second. Originally, it is a method of preserving food. So, you know, going back hundreds of years ago, they had to preserve whatever was in season um, at a particular time of the year. They didn't... They didn't have methods of freezing it or anything like that. So this was their method of preserving. It was to ferment it. Um, and this has been done for thousands of years. So we'll just talk very briefly about what the actual process involves and then we'll move on to some examples of it. Okay. So the foods go through a natural process of what's called lacto-fermentation in which natural bacteria feed on the sugar and the starch that's present in the food and this creates lactic acid. Uh, This lactic acid in turn preserves the food and in turn produces digestive enzymes, B vitamins, um, fatty acids, and various strains of beneficial bacteria or probiotics. So that's what the actual process involves. Um, It's usually done just by adding uh, good quality salt into your raw veg, mashing it all up together or pounding it. It would be traditionally pounded with like a wooden stick or something like that. And this breaks down the fibers in the raw veg and it releases the natural liquid in it. You pop this into a jar and a sterilized jar you cover it with a cloth or a piece of um, muslin or something like that you leave it at room temperature and over the course of a few days it will start to ferment and release carbon dioxide gas so you end up it's very quick to do exceptionally cheap to do there's no reason to be buying foods like this in the supermarket and when you get into the habit of doing it, like I said, it is rewarding. It is a bit of an acquired taste, so don't give up the first time you taste it because um, it is quite sharp, it is quite bitter, and the smell off of it is very, very pungent. So uh, don't be put off by the smell. It doesn't taste as bad as it smells. So it's maybe a bit like a goat's cheese. 
you know the way a goat's cheese can have that strong yeah and again actually since you, since you mentioned that very strong cheeses like that they, if they're done properly um, artisan producers it, that is a process of fermentation right. so that is beneficial bacteria that will grow on your cheese so um, aged cheeses like that would be a good um, a good example of, um, of naturally fermented food so the recipe that you have then for the sauerkraut what do you need for it okay so all you need is cabbage and salt. Any particular type of cabbage? I would say, okay, there's lots of different recipes out there. I think it's better to use, you know, like the, the white cabbage that you'd use for a coleslaw. So the white, heavy, firm, kind of packed head. So one of those. So what you need is one head of, try and go for organic cabbage if you can. Uh, red or white, doesn't make a difference. So one head of cabbage, um, a teaspoon, a generous teaspoon of sea salt. Try and go for good quality sea salt if you can. So it's coarse then. Yeah, good coarse salt. Try not to go for your... You know, your standard white refined mm-hmm. table salt. There isn't much goodness in that. Um, go for good quality sea salt. Um, after that, all you need is a glass jar. You can you can flavor it with you can put a little bit of ginger in there, a little bit of garlic, you can put in some caraway seeds or fennel seeds. But if you want to start off with the most basic sauerkraut, all you need is cabbage and salt. It doesn't seem to be very much salt for the size of the cabbage. No, it's not an awful lot. Now when you shred the head of cabbage, it looked like a vast amount of cabbage. But after a couple of days when you pound it all down in a bowl first of all and then when you pack it all into a jar and it starts to release the the liquid you'll actually probably end up with about half the volume of cabbage that you started out with and how many days would it take for that to be ready to eat? It takes, I give it about four or five days. Is that all? After that, it's ready. There are different recipes for different types of yeah. fermented veg, but the sauerkraut, I, I've, the ones that I've done any, it's kind of one of the faster ones to ferment. And you're leaving it at room temperature, it's not refrigerated? No, it's not refrigerated. So leave it at room temp, and then when you're happy that it's fermented enough, um, you can store it in, in glass jars in the fridge, and it will last for weeks. Do you need to be stirring it re- regularly, or like minding it, or is it just let it off to do its own thing with the muslin covering on Generally, what, what I would do is, so when you um, shred up your cabbage, so we'll give, we'll actually give a run through the recipe. Okay, great. Um, so one head of cabbage, just shred the cabbage with a knife or a food processor. It's going to make it an awful lot faster for you. Um, and it'll chop the cabbage nice and thin as well for you. So put the cabbage into a bowl with the salt. Um, mix everything together with your hands and then maybe something like a rolling pin or something like that. Use that to pound the cabbage. Keep this going maybe for 8, 10, even 12 minutes. Don't give up on it because it, the more you pound it, the more it's going to break it down and release the natural liquid out of it or the natural juices. Um, then after that, get your sterilised glass jar. So something like a mason jar, something like that. Need to be quite big now to accommodate you need it, it all. Yeah, so to accommodate a full head of cabbage, you'd be probably looking at maybe a two litre uh, glass jar. Certainly a one and a half litre anyway. Um, you can do this in a smaller quantity to start out with, see what you think of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, look, a head of cabbage is only going to cost you what, about a euro or so. So it's not going to be much wasted anyway. Um, so after about 10 minutes of pounding the cabbage, pack it all down into the sterilized jar. Um, leave a little bit of room on top. So don't pack it right to the very top. Then you need to get something like a heavy glass jar or something that you can actually fit into the top of your your bigger jar and to keep the cabbage pressed down. You want to weight it down. You want to weight it down so it's going to be submerged in its own juices when it starts. The the juice will rise to the top. Um, Place the the jar on a plate. Close up your, your mason jar. 
uh, you can place the jar then on a plate just in case it does happen to overflow and cover it up with muslin cloth or something like that. You want it to be able to breed. Um, leaves the jar at room temperature for four or five days and you should see bubbles starting to appear after a couple of days. So this is the carbon dioxide being released inside it. Um, this obviously means that it's working. Um, after that, you can. the optimum temperature is between 2 and 22 degrees. So room temperature in Ireland is fairly, fairly good. Just to confirm then now, because I'm a bit confused about, do you put the lid on the kiln jar or not? You can put the lid on it, but if you are using an airtight lid, you need to open it every day to release some of the gas. Okay. Otherwise, it can actually explode. pop. It could explode on you. Um, I find it better just to put muslin cloth over the top of it and maybe just an elastic band or something around it. Okay. I find yeah, that's so it can breathe through Yeah, I think muslin. that's the safest way to do it anyway. Okay. Um, and that's it. After four or five days, when you're happy enough um, you will get a quite a strong smell from it um, you can put it into smaller jars into jam jars something like that pop a lid in them and keep them in the fridge and it will keep for weeks and weeks in the fridge and it goes well with salads it's, and look, it's lovely with salads with cold meats um, traditionally in German or in Germany because it's kind of a staple part of their, their diet it would be served with cold meats with different um, cold cuts like pork and stuff like that but even on its own get into the habit of eating it get a spoon of it in wherever you can um, even on its own you'll actually come to enjoy it after a while but do, don't give up after the first taste try it a few different times and you will feel the benefits from eating it the way we did when we had our first glass of wine and our first glass of exactly, beer yeah. we persevered <laughs> to look at us now Sid that sounds great I must give that a go now and if any of the listeners give it a go I'm sure you'd like to see their pictures up on Facebook they could post them onto your Facebook page yeah absolutely so we'll just uh, the website is um, nourishedbynature.ie and the Facebook page is nourishedbynature.listol and you're going to be running some fermentation classes? I will probably in a few weeks. So at some stage, I don't have a date set yet for it, but sometime in August, I will be running a ferment, uh, fermented foods class. So we'll be covering stuff like um, kefir, uh, sourdough bread, a few other bits and pieces okay. as well that are nice and easy to do. So people can keep an eye on the website. Yeah, so in the meantime, you know, just be, be good to your gut and hopefully it'll reward you as well. Absolutely. Great to see you, Sid. And we look forward to seeing you again next month. Thanks for having me in. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Thanks again to Sid. Lots of great advice and information there about the gut. And we look forward to his return next month. So if you have a nutrition or a diet-related question for him, feel free to send it to me, s.noonan at live.ie, and I'll be sure to put it to him in August. Still to come tonight, Caroline Rigney from Rigney's Farm in Currachase, County Limerick, is going to be in the studio to tell us about a new addition to her product line of award-winning products. And finally, at the end of the show, we hope to pay a visit to the north, to County Fermanagh, to find out about the Urn Water Taxi Food Tour with Barry Flanagan. And that's because the July theme to celebrate the 2016 Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink is Seas, Rivers and Locks. But before that, we are delighted to have Alana Gallagher on the line. And Alana is going to tell us a bit about the Irish Times Best Shop competition. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Alana, great to have you on the programme tonight. You are the coordinator for the Irish Times Best Shops competition. Tell us what it is exactly. Well, it's now in its fifth year and uh, I'm also one of the judges, but... um, it's a, it's a pretty substantial reader-led competition. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've had, you know, north of 30,000 nominations per, uh, per annum. Last year, I think it was th- almost 
3,200 different shops nominated within that category, which is only about 5% of the overall shop population, but it's quite a phenomenal response, you know, and a reader-led response. So basically, we invite readers. And what started off was Orna Mulcahy, who set the competition up, um, and it was an idea to just, I suppose, to give everybody a bit of a lift during the sort of the darkest days of the recession, and it has kind of snowballed from sort of, say, 3,000 nominations the first year, you know, and it's multiplied by 10 times at least uh, in that time. And we just get a really fabulous cross-section of, of shopping society, you know, from some really posh places to some really old-school, family-run um, establishments to little news agents or corner shops that are, you know, really, you know, I suppose the heart of their communities and, you know... We've had previous winners whereby, you know, they've set up shops in places where the shop had closed uh, a few years previously. And it really does take, it, it, it does help kill a village when you don't have that kind of uh, service and facility within, you know, walking distance or a short driving distance. Um, and there are always just really great stories. And readers write, you know, novellas sometimes about why they really love these shops. I mean, it is just absolutely, it's riveting to read. I mean, you'll get the people who say it's like an Aladdin's cave and all that sort of stuff, and that isn't as interesting as... But a, a really significant number of our readers take, you know, 10 minutes of their time to actually write and compose something really interesting and very heartfelt. And it is great to work on. It's quite exciting. And you do truffle out all these gems of kind of, you know... Like I was talking to a guy today in the Midlands, uh, I don't want to be too specific, you know, as well. But, like, he's a gun shop. He has beekeeping uh, apparatus. I don't even know what the technical term for that is. He sells fishing tackle and fishing rods and, you know, sweets. And sweets would be his core business, actually, as it happens. So, you know, and he's been there since the 20s, almost, or at least the, the shop has. And many of them are kind of almost architectural heritages. You know, they're traditional Irish shop fronts. Um, and then you have very glossy, polished premises and you have a lot of new shops coming through in the last couple of years um, which is a good sign you know you definitely see a lot of new shops com uh, coming through um, yeah, and then we have all favourites who run fabulous campaigns every year you know it, it, it's a really broad church there are 10 different categories you have, uh, best food and drink best specialist shop best fashion store best cafe or tea shop best home and design best gift and craft, best salon, which is across, you know, and that's for men and women, from barbers to waxing and brow specialists, um, best merchandising, uh, and then we have new, new, new categories this, this year, which is one is best merchandising and one is best family-run shop, and I wonder if I've forgotten anybody then best specialist I did say that I think so there's a number of different categories there there's a and different categories and you can go on to irishtimes.com forward slash best shop and we want to um, appeal to the listeners tonight to really focus in because the, the interest in the show here is food and drink so that it would be the food shops and the cafes and restaurants out there and, cafes, and even the specialist shops so if there's somebody who's very specialist in there you know it, it's, there are there are shops that might fit in there also but I mean you're in such an incredible food heartland there and we've had some really amazing um, past shortlisted people and also past winners. I mean, the guys in Country Choice are, you know, I mean, what they do is unparalleled in a way. And uh, it was Country Choice at the milk market that won um, our best uh, 
market stall category last year and I mean he built such an amazing community and you know knows everybody you mentioned there about people um writing novellas and being very passionate about particular mm. shops and that's why they vote for them but you also mentioned then about shops themselves developing a campaign around it and ur- urging their customers to vote for them encouraging their customers to to vote for them what what effect does that have whenever it comes to the judging process? Is judging based on the number of nominations? Is it based on the information received? So based on all of that, it's, it's the number of nominations, but it is the judge's decision that is final. So like we have a fabulous panel of judges. We have Simon Pratt, who's MD of Avoca. We have Eddie Shanahan, who's an independent retail consultant. We have John Redmond, who's the creative director of the Brown Thomas Group. We have uh, Deirdre McQuillan, who's the fashion editor of the Irish Times. We have Sarah Halliwell, who's the beauty editor of The Gloss. Uh, Robbie Doherty, who's with AIB Merchant Services. And then myself. And am I missing anybody there either? And whenever you sit down as a team of judges, has has the shops been shortlisted at that point or are they looking through all of them? We look through all the nominations. Uh, we look through all the, the, the nominations at the top. But sometimes, I mean, people, some people can run really effective social media campaigns, but the shop might just be only so-so. And it is, it's tricky when, you know, like say for last year, we had to, 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 to distill down 3,200 shops down to 100 which is a massive cull in a way, you know, like there'll be a lot of people floating around the shortlist and then it is a bit of a barney between the judges. And we all go out in the road and we take a look at it, we do a load of secret shopping and we inspect shops and we feed all that back in. So we'd have a meeting to sort of sort of draw up a sort of long list, short list, and then from that we will uh, select the, the cream of the cream of that, you know, of that, that selection. But it really is, like in the food categories, it's, you know, we want to know about people making their own sausages. We want to know about people growing uh, foods. We want to know about people who know, you know, what your order for your coffee is, no matter how fussy you are. Uh, we want to know about great home baking and scones and Irish traditional soda bread and boxy and, you know, like we're really open to suggestion. And it is those... those uh, People who are, I mean, it is really as a lifestyle more than just a business for them. They really eat, sleep and drink it. I read a few weeks ago that Sligo was leading the way. Is that still the case? Well, do you know what? I actually don't know because I've literally only got the data before you came on here. So I don't know. They, but they seem, they seem to really galvanise their forces. So we want to see the same from Limerick because you have an amazing array of shops, you know. And what I like about Limerick is that you have everything from, you know, really kind of polished food stores right down to the guy selling winkles on our periwinkles on the street and there's a really interesting food heritage in the town and in the county uh, and we would love to be able to reflect that so we want all your shopkeepers and all the fans of those shops to go on to irishtimes.com forward slash best shop and please nominate and tell us why like it's not enough like the the judges actually do read the comments and we will dissect them as we're sitting around the table and you know they really do play a really big part in you know who we will actually get out to visit is there a closing date there is a closing date it is uh august 3rd august wednesday 3rd. august 3rd 
Okay, well, listen, thanks so much for coming on tonight to tell us all about it. Hopefully there will be a number of entries from Limerick and, of course, from all all the different corners of Ireland. It's a great way to promote your business and get the word out there and for customers to feed back. So best of luck with it and thanks for talking to us about it tonight, Alana. No problem, it's a pleasure. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, nutritionist Sid Sheehan has had some great advice about the gut. And just before the break, Alana Gallagher explained how to vote and why to vote in the Irish Times Best Shop competition. Don't forget, if you have missed any of the show so far and you want to catch up on it, it'll be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Or you can subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the little podcast app that comes on most phones. Still to come tonight, we are hoping to pay a visit to the north to County Fermanagh to find out about the Urn Water Taxi food tour with Barry Flanagan as the July theme to celebrate the 2016 Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink is Seas, Rivers and Locks. But before that, we're back in studio with Caroline Rigney from Rigney's Farm in Currachase, County Limerick, whose delicious pork products will be well known to many of you. Well, Caroline's branching out and tonight she's here to tell us about the latest addition to her product line. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Caroline, thanks so much for coming into the studio. Thank you for having me, Sharon. And congratulations are in order on a number of coins. We're going to talk in a minute about your new product, but recently you won an award up in Wexford, was it? That's right, in Enniscorthy. Um, I won the All-Ireland Farmers Market competition uh, for the second time. I won it in 2012 as well, and now again this year. Um, and that's for best overall stall on the day and best story and best food product also, taste and everything else. Well, let's talk about your story and your products. You're based down in Currachias. You have a farm that's there, Rigney's Farm, and you produce fabulous products. Tell us about your products. I will indeed. Um, well, I suppose I started, um, gosh, it's nine years ago now, I think, um, producing rashers and sausages and black and white puddings uh, on the farm in a small way from my own rare breed pigs. And it sort of developed into a little business, like I was a stay-at-home mother um, with no prospects of work, really. Um, you know, the workplace had gone without me. And I had this idea that I wanted to be at something with food. And I thought of baking bread and all sorts of things. But the idea of the pork presented itself because I was kind of doing it at home for our own use. And then as people were tasting it, they were saying it was really very good. And I took the chance on it and I got advice from bodies like West Limerick Resources. And I asked lots of advice from people and I got started in 2007. And straight away we won many awards. We won... um, uh, straight away was uh, Bridgestone Best in Ireland um, and we also in 2008 we won the Great Taste Awards in London which was three stars which was very good. You're being very modest here really Caroline about starting to make these products because it might come as a surprise to listeners that you don't come from a farming background you didn't grow up on a farm. No I didn't no I had but I always had a grow for it and a love for it um, I grew up in County Westmead um, with my grandmother and my uncle 
and um, there was no land attached to the house, a small garden, but no land as such attached to the house. But I always had a grow for animals and, and for land as such, a small piece of land, you know, just to be able to do stuff and connect with nature and have the animals around me. And I suppose um, on, on two levels, being that it's such a small farm, at, we only own 14 acres, you have to bring whatever you do direct to the customer to make some money. It wouldn't make no sense at all to be producing animals or, or a product for the industry, should I say. Um, it's something that's you you have to sell direct to the final customer where possible um, because because of the limitations of it, you know. Joe, your husband, mm-hmm. was he a farmer? Is he from West Limerick? Joe is not from West Limerick. He's also from County Westmead. And Joe would have... Uh, he's off a, a farm. He's the youngest of eight. A small dairy farm in County Westmead. Um, but uh, they would have a history of stone masonry. And that's what Joe done. He he wasn't on the farm. He didn't work on the farm at all. How did you end up in West Limerick? Saw a gorgeous field and fell in love with it. And you built a house and there. And we turned our lives upside down for it. Yeah. It's amazing. It is mm-hmm. such an interesting story. And you mm-hmm. have the B&B there. Yeah. You have the farm shop with your award-winning products in it. Mm-hmm. And people come from far and wide for it. And you travel all over the country to sell them, which is just That's incredible. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do uh, two markets a week. Um... In, uh, One in Listowel. Listowel in Kerry and uh, every Friday and Killaloo every Sunday in Clare and then we have a couple of restaurants in Limerick City that take our products and direct to the customer then people who call to the house you know for for everyday use and for special occasions which is fabulous yeah it's great, yeah, it's great. and then of course we have the bed and breakfast which is busy now at the moment but it's quite seasonal um, and I make the rashers and the sausages and the black and white puddings for their breakfast and fresh homemade bread and obviously the new venture which which grew out of the B&B really was to make granola so for several years now I've been making granola for the B&B guests to kind of complement the breakfast that was on offer I found that you know buying regular cereals it just wasn't cutting it I thought anyway and um, I made the granola and the guests loved it And it was about maybe two and a half years ago, while writing out the recipe for one lady and telling her how to make it from the States, that another B&B guest said to me that you're you're mad, you should be making it yourself, it's the best granola ever. So I thought about it and... um, And here it is. And here it is, There's two different varieties, you brought them in, beautiful packaging. Tell us a bit about the packaging, because this is something that is essential to, to make sure that your product is is visually appealing but also that it has the the shelf life that's right well packaging is so i like as a market trade or farmer's market person you don't have to depend so much on packaging to sell your product you're there yourself the customers can come and ask you the questions that if they have worries about additives or if they have fears about special diets they can ask me all about my pork products and i can tell them because i make them but with, with something that's going into the shops and going away from you, you have to have the full story on the packet. And you have to have it, obviously, uh, the integrity of the packet has to be there to keep the product nice and fresh and maintain the shelf life and, and the nutritional value as well. So the packaging is, it's a pouch um, and the whole story of the farm is on it. And Beautiful how I picture com- of the farmhouse. Thank you, thank you. And that's important too. There's a, an element of recognition. It's out in the shops already. Uh, it's doing very well here in Newcastle West, actually. 
in in Sonus. In Sonus, uh, job. I saw yeah. it there now. It's doing really well ago. there, and I think there's people are recognising that it's a good product and. Um, yeah, so so far so good. So two different varieties. This is goji berries and flame raisins. That yes. sounds very exotic. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in it. It's a very high-end granola. There's very high-quality uh, products used. It's uh, certified gluten-free, and there's no added sugar, which so is very important because a lot important. of these mueslis and different things, there's a pile of sugar in them. Well, they have sugar of many names. A lot of them. Mm. So that has no added sugar. The only natural sweetener that's in it is honey. Okay. And where do you source all the ingredients that go into it? I'm sourcing them. Well, some of the ingredients, as you say, are quite exotic and they are coming from foreign countries, but they're sourced here within Ireland. And the other one then is whole pecan and almonds, cinnamon and dates. Yeah, so that's, uh, again, it's certified gluten-free and there's no added sugar. And it's a whole nut variety and it also appeals to people who don't like fruity bits you know, the people who pick the kerns out of the cake <laughs> yes. and stuff. Yes. That one is really, really appealing to those people. Which one is your favourite? I like the first one best myself. The goji berries yeah. and flame raisins. But yeah, I'm I amazed that, that the second one is actually passing out the first one in sales. The, the cinnamon and date is passing out the goji berry. And why do you think that is? I'm amazed. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. I think that maybe the whole... It's a lovely... Um, I don't know what the description is now, but I think the whole nuts, it's a soft textured granola as well. So I think people like that. And the serving suggestion would be, especially this time of the year, would be lovely fresh berries and natural yogurt. And you have some serving suggestions in the bag here. It doesn't have. just have to be for a breakfast oh, cereal. Oh gosh, no, no, no. Anytime, anytime like a, a lunch or a snack on the go or like people into their cycling now and everything are telling me that they're taking it with them and having it on the go. So there's uh, not just breakfast. So what is next? You have your granola now and you've all those other wonderful breakfast ingredients. And as you said there, like none of your products have to be just for breakfast. People can eat them morning, noon and night. Any time at all. Uh, What's next for us is to just try to... The the granola is a different product in that um, we can buy in the ingredients. With the pork products, obviously, we're rearing the pigs ourselves. They're born and reared on the farm and processed on the farm. This is more scalable. So hopefully it will scale and become bigger. Okay. So does that mean that you might not do it all at the farmhouse then? Well, the the granola is actually made in a special premises because it's certified gluten-free. So I don't actually make that in my own kitchen. And my my processing unit on the farm is a raw meat unit so it certainly wouldn't be for the granola either okay so i'm i'm juggling at the moment yeah and because it's not easy then if you're having to go Mm -hmm. to different sites and everything it's not but you know uh, for the time being it's doable and you're very enthusiastic about it. You're very passionate about it. You you know, it's very obvious that you really do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. And I love, I actually love um, meeting the people at the markets. But I love then that there's a different thing happening that the granola might sort of grow up, if you like, and go out there into the big bad world and be in the shops and stuff by itself and maybe make an easier income than farmers markets. You mentioned earlier about giving the recipe to a guest Mm -hmm. that came in and that's where the idea came to to make it into a a sellable product and imparting your knowledge and expertise is something that you do regularly. Did I see recently that you did a black pudding workshop in Limerick? I did, yes, inside in Limerick with, um, it was for um, Culture Week, Culture and Chips and... um, Myself and the other chap, Paul, we made two different puddings between us 
Um, and it was very interesting. Lots of people came and turned up to watch it and ask questions about how it was made and sort of fascinated that some people remembered how it was done years ago and then other people were fascinated at just how it was made. And there was a couple of gentlemen came who were part of the pork factory that was in Limerick at the time and they had very interesting stories to tell and, and good good memories as well. It sounds like it was a fabulous opportunity to step back in time a bit and just, I suppose, remember some stories that mm-hmm. people may have forgotten or may have forgotten yeah. had the workshop not taken place. That's true. And, you know, it's no harm to step back sometimes and just take it easy and, you know, chat to people. You know, you don't have to give away your most um, valuable secrets when you're doing it. There's a million recipes for black pudding out there and you know it was nice to talk to people about it and you know it was just lovely. I know that Tom Flavin, Chef Tom Flavin who is a West Limerick man himself and is the executive chef in the Strand Hotel in Limerick he's always trying to get your recipe for the black pudding. He is yeah he is there's always a bit of a a joke (laughs) going on there but uh, Tom at the same time is a great supporter of mine and of small producers so we, we do appreciate him. He made a video there last year with the Strand mm-hmm. Hotel and was out visiting lots of suppliers and your farm was one That's of right. the farms that he went to. It was uh-huh. a great video. It was lovely. It was great and very enjoyable doing it with them as well. And fantastic that he is a Fulcher Ireland food ambassador now. That's so right I'd and congratulations to him. Your product will be definitely one of the products that he'll be spreading the word about. So yeah. you're going from strength to strength, which is fantastic to see. Congratulations to you, you on the launch of the new product and on your recent award and continued success. Thank you very much, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we were delighted to have Caroline Rigney in the studio to tell us about the latest addition to her product line. I'm looking forward to trying this granola now tomorrow morning for my breakfast. And earlier in the show Sid Sheehan was in studio with gut-related advice and Alana Gallagher was on the phone talking about the Irish Times Best Shop competition. If you're just tuning in you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. So we're at the final interview of the evening as time is running out and it's with a taxi driver with a difference. Barry Flanagan from Lock Urn Water Taxi in County Fermanagh has launched a food tour and as the July theme to celebrate the 2016 NI year of food and drink is Seas, Rivers and Locks. Isn't he the perfect guest to join us on the line now? Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Barry, thanks a million for taking the call this evening. You have a very unusual taxi because it's a boat. That's right, yeah. Um, we have a new water taxi here uh, based on Loch Erne in County Fermanagh. So, oh, it's a new venture. Me and my wife have started up. So, yeah, it's, it's a good opportunity for to showcase Loch Erne and bring people out and show them some of the historic sites and some of the waterways. You have a background in tourism, I believe. I do, I do, yes. I've worked in uh, tourism for a number of years. I worked uh, in, a, in an outdoor centre uh, teaching people how to sail and kayak. Um, I also worked in the Marble Arch Caves, and uh, I suppose I've worked in tourism one way or other. Uh, ran a tourist office as well for so that's going back maybe five six years. I've, I've worked in tourism now. 
So the perfect grinding then to to start up, it, like it, it, you call it a water taxi, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose a lot of people have said, well, why did you call it a water taxi? I suppose we wanted to, to stand out, you know, and really um, show people that we are different from anything else that, that that's out, out there on the water at the minute. You can hire a day boat, you can hop on a cruiser, but there's nobody that will bring you from point A to point B on the lock. Uh, and we thought, you know, there's a gap in the market and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be able to cater to that. So um, our boats are bright yellow as well. Uh, they're like a New York cab on the outside and they're like a private jet on the inside, a lot of people have said. So um, they're very unique. It sounds very cool. Oh, it, it is, yeah. When, when you have weather like we had today, uh, it makes it, makes it all worthwhile. You know, uh, we've had quite a few groups out today, um, some film crew out today as well. So it's been it's been a really great day. Well, tell us now about the food trail because Fermanagh is probably very well known for the Loch Urn Resort that's there with with Noel McMeal, who is an award winning chef and a TV he's a celebrity chef really from Northern Ireland. And um, you have the food trail then, and you go to a number of different different stops. So tell us a bit about that. Sure. Well, I suppose we we uh, we knew it was coming into Northern Ireland year of food and drink. Uh, and we wanted, I suppose, to to really showcase some of the great projects we had in Fermanagh. And I suppose uh, with the new business, we were thinking of ways, well, how could we be, be part of that? And uh, although we don't have a huge amount of producers on the lock shore, we have some great producers not too far away from the lock. And so we wanted to bring the produce aboard the boat and take people out and, and let them taste it on some of the island sites uh, that they're linked to. Um, and some of the some of the sites that you know have a history and tie the heritage and the food together. So there is eight local products, is it, and a two-course restaurant tasting menu. That's right. That's right. So we have um, we've four prod- four products from each part of Fermanagh, kind of broke it up into upper lock and lower lock. Um, so we've got like kettle Irish foods. We've got O'Doherty's fine meats, which are prob- probably most famous for the Fermanagh black bacon. Uh, we've got the Sheelan Blonde Ale and Carleggy Cheeses from Bell Turbot. Um, we've got Inish Maxine Craft Beer. We've got Aaron Grove Preserves, Tickety Moo Ice Cream and some Boxty. Sounds <laughs> so fabulous. We have a, a bit for everybody. And then, as you say, we, we finish off in a restaurant, uh, one, of the, one of the four main uh, waterside restaurants on the lock here. So there's the Killy Hevelin uh, Hotel and their restaurant, Cove. We've got the Locker and Resorts restaurant uh, where Noel McNeil is based and uh, Catalina. Um, we've got the Watermill restaurant down in the Upper Lock and also the Manor House restaurant, the Bleak restaurant. So um, you finish off there with a taster menu and that really ties together all the flavours uh, and taste that you had on the tour. Do you, do you taste the flavours then on the boat? They're served to you on the boat as you're cruising on the lock? Yeah, well, I suppose on the, the boat part of the journey is more rustic food outdoors so what we do is we, we cook up some Fermanagh black bacon in a pan we'll just get a, a bowl out and serve you some ice cream you know it's all really kind of uh, rustic outdoor foods served up um, and just really served very simply but it's really just to give you a flavour of the great produce that we have and we go, go and have some uh, Inishmac Saint beer on Inishmac Saint Island uh, and toast to the Saints of Locker and that type of thing. So we try and tie the product to the place, if you know what I mean. So you moor in a couple of places as well and people can get off the boat? Yeah, yeah. So we, 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 we bring people to 
somewhere there's a nice picnic bench and somewhere you have a, a nice area you can sit down uh, and enjoy the food and just relax really and take in the scenery um, we'd set up a bit of a, a picnic for people and um, yeah no it's been very popular now so far and anyone who's done it has really really enjoyed it what sort of people do it is it the locals have you had a lot of tourists like how is word getting out there that it's available yeah oh, well, I suppose that's always uh, a challenge just getting the word out of a new product but because we have teamed up with all these different producers um, they've also helped to to let people know about it and of course the restaurants as well um, and the hotels they're, they're keen to have more things for people to do in the area so um, this is tied in really nicely and it's, a, it's another offering that we can give to people when they come to Fermanagh and, and, and spend half a day, you know, not only getting a, a great sightseeing tour but, but also getting to taste a lot of all the, all the great main award-winning produce we have here so it ties it all together. You mentioned uh, the restaurants there. Do you stop at all of those restaurants or do you choose one of those restaurants as part of the package? Um, we will... You can choose the restaurant if you're say, staying at one of the hotels, for example. You obviously probably wouldn't want to eat at the same one, so we can uh, we can definitely say we'll we'll choose another restaurant, or uh, alternatively, we will just have on our set Saturday morning tours. We'll have a restaurant chosen already, but um, you can book the tour anytime. Really, it doesn't have to be on a Saturday morning. If you've got a group of six or more, and it's something you think would be well suited to your group, then. You can book at any time during the week. I think if it has, I'm sure it has been very successful already, but this is going to be something really big because it's such a great way to take in the lock itself, to enjoy the countryside, to get out in the fresh air. You've none of the hard work to do. You don't have to think about anything. Everything's literally handed to you on a platter. Yeah, absolutely. No, it does. It, it, uh, it ties a lot of elements of Hermana together and... Um, as I say, the people who have done it have kind of gone away with a smile on their face and a, fo- a belly full of food. And <laughs> they've said the comments that we kind of get are, you know, oh, this is so relaxing. And as you say, you don't have to think about where you're getting your next meal. You just, it, it's just put out to you. So, <laughs> how long does it take to do it? It takes, um, it takes at least three hours. Now, sometimes we we go a little bit longer. We like to give a wee bit extra than, than the three hours that we allocated to the tour originally. Um, but we finish off in one of the restaurants, so um, sometimes you can just sit on in the restaurant and enjoy, you know, the surroundings if, if, if that's what you would like to do. Or we can bring you back to another particular location. Um, if the park say somewhere in, in a skill and we need to bring them back, we, we do that as well. With your background in tourism, I would imagine the guests are always tapping into that and asking you lots of things about the area. And it's always great to have a guide that knows the region inside out. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, I suppose that is something that we are proud of, I suppose, with the taxi, is that we do know the lock so well and we know we know a lot about it. We know a lot about its history. We know all the best places to eat. Um you know, we can recommend places as soon as people come out in the boat. So that is something that uh, I'm really happy with. And I think the customer really appreciates that as well. When you can recommend a nice restaurant, maybe after a tour or or a nice hotel to stay on that night or a guest house or a B&B. Um, you know, we do have, we have a great range of stuff here in Fermanagh, really. So uh, it's good to good to keep on top of all the new updates as well, you know. 
if people are having difficulty visualising it, they will be lucky enough to see you on TV because you mentioned about the film crew today. What were they filming? Oh, they were just filming uh, basically our food trail. Um, so, yeah, they were out uh, filming basically us stopping at lots of nice sites around the lock and they got to taste a lot of the food. Um, it was it was a really enjoyable day now and they've just, they've just left. Um and we we brought them to a restaurant to finish off the day with, and, and the French uh, restaurant owner came out and sat with them, and and uh, told them all about his his restaurant and and the food that they were eating. So it was great. Are you allowed to tell us? Are you allowed to tell us which program it it was and um, what channel it's going to be on? Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, uh, get BB, uh, it's BBC One Northern Ireland. I think so. It's going to be Getaways is the holiday show and I think it's going to be the one that's based around food I'm not sure when it's airing yet but we're looking forward to seeing it now Be sure to let us know when it's airing so we can let the the listeners know because I'm sure some of them would love to see it Great, yeah, yeah Well, you you can uh, there's a great little video up on YouTube of us or our food trail uh, Food food and I done a food uh, a video of the food trail so if any of our listeners are wanting to have a look to see what's on offer they can go on to YouTube as well. And the website then, just give us your website as well because details of the food trail and obviously all the other tours that you do are up there. That's right, yeah. That's right. Uh, the, it's earnwatertaxi.com So nice and simple and uh, yeah, all the info- information is up there and you can you can make bookings through the website. Fantastic. Barry, thanks so much for talking to us about it this evening. It sounds really cool. I love the idea of it being like the, the New York taxi yellow cab theme is, is, you know, a fantastic idea. How many boats do you have, by the way? We have two boats, so we do. Uh, we've got the one running this year and uh, all being well and, and the season goes well, we'll be uh, up and running with the two next year. Um, but um, the the plan was for my, my wife to drive the second boat. Was, we're, we're a husband and wife business, but... Uh, she's expecting her first child now, so things might change slightly. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Uh, so, oh, yeah, I know. It's ex- exciting times with the new business and, and the family starting. So, we're, uh, yeah, no, if you're ever up this way, surely give us a shout and we'll, we'll get you out in the lock and feed you plenty. I might take you up on that. You just never know. In the meantime, best of luck with the new venture, with the new baby also. And um, I'd say now, whenever it goes out on BBC Northern Ireland, you're just going to be inundated with, with booking. So um, you look forward to that. Oh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Barry, great to talk to you this evening. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Sharon. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week. Soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Thanks so much for your company and, of course, to all of tonight's wonderful guests. Thanks so much for coming into the studio or coming on the phone. Sid Sheehan, Alana Gallagher, Caroline Rigney and Barry Flanagan. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!